We've heard a lot of people talk about joy when it comes to the Christian life, right? So we're going to talk about this. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for, God, your direction and your guidance and, and your instruction in our lives. And God, I pray that today we will we'll get something out of this about joy that maybe we haven't thought about before, or maybe just we've heard, but it hasn't taken root, it hasn't worked. Because it's not because that your word doesn't work, it's not because that, that you don't work, it's not because the Holy Spirit doesn't work, but oftentimes just because we're not fertile ground sometimes. We're resistant. And so God, I pray that you will help us to walk away with something different when it comes to joy today. Because I know we all need it. We're going to talk about why that is out of your word. So God, I pray that you open our hearts and you open our minds because I already know that your, your word itself says that it does not re- go out and return to you void, but it'll accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And so God, I pray, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to what your Holy Spirit is trying to do through the word today. We'll give you all the praise and all the honor. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. Church together said, Amen. Amen. So, so we have, we've heard a lot of people talk about joy when it comes to the Christian life, right? Yeah. I mean, you hear that a lot. You hear, hear people talk about that you need to have joy. And, but what is it, really? And what does it mean? And how do we have it? And why is it so important? And so today we're going to talk about this idea of joy in our spiritual lives. And as you were reading through your book this week, did you notice I didn't even ask? I just gave that positive statement. As you were reading through your book this week, you saw there were a lot of scriptures used, just like there are every week in those studies. And that's why this is so powerful right now, and that's why this study is so good. But we're going to pluck the key verse out of this and expound on that today but we're going to back up some because the key verse that's listed in the, in the book is, is John chapter 15, and it hits verse 11. But we've got to get some context around this. So, hey, so God was already trying to plan out so that this thing wasn't, wasn't working, and then Debbie was going to be back there, and she'll keep her eyes locked on me. And this is going to be all good. So we're going to start with John chapter 14, not 15 and 11. We're going to start with John chapter 14, beginning with verse verse 15. And here's what this says. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor, that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. For it does not see him, neither does it know him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you fatherless. You'll start seeing why we were singing some of the songs we were. I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, so not the the Judas that betrayed Jesus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us but not to the world? 
Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I've spoken these things to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I am going away and am returning to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. After this, I will not speak much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Then he's talking while they're going. I like this. Jesus, Jesus starts talking to me. He's going to talk while they walk. He said, come on, let's go. We're going to keep talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man does not remain in me, he's thrown out as a branch and withers, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you. This is verse 11. That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master does, but I have called you friends for everything that I have heard from the Father have I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that the Father may give you whatever you ask him in my name. This I command you, that you love one another. Man, I read that much scripture. I want to do like those churches that go, and may the blessing be upon the reading of the word. <laughs> That's just what it makes me want to do. That was a lot, so that was a lot of scripture, right? You've heard little pieces of that be picked out and used to preach sermons and, and to teach concepts, but we've got to take this all in as one large statement and teaching that Jesus is doing. It's not, it's not 15 different little teachings, although there's stuff to get out of that, but it's this one large conversation that he's having. And before we dive too much into chapter 15, verse 11, I want to identify something that's really important. It's important enough in this passage that Jesus repeats it six times. 
There's six fairly distinct times that he repeats this here in this passage. And basically, Jesus repeats and says, if you do something. He does a, an if statement. He ties it into if you do these things. And, and so all six of these are this. In chapter 14, verse 15, you're not going to have the, I'm just going to throw these back out at you. Chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. 14 and 21, whoever keeps my commandments loves me. 14, 23, if a man loves me, he'll keep my word. 15 and 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. 15, 10, if you keep my commandments. And 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. There's some powerful stuff. Jesus lays out some parameters and he says there is a an indicator of whether or not you are my friend. There's an indicator of whether or not you're my disciple. There's an indicator of whether or not you are in right relationship with me. And he says that is repeatedly, keep my commandments, keep my commandments, keep my word, keep my word in you, keep my commandments, do what I command you. That's the six things. He repeatedly says you have to do what I tell you to do in order to demonstrate that you're my disciple. So now let's talk about 15 and 11. We've got verse 15 and 11 on a slide. Verse 15 and 11 says this, I have spoken these things to you, that my joy, I want you to pick up on that, because we're going to talk about that for a minute, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So we're going to leave that verse up there because you're going to be looking at, at some of this. I want you to keep this in your mind. Did you, there are two distinct joys. Two very distinct joys that are stated in this. Jesus says, I have said these things to you. In other words, this whole discourse that he just had where he told them about keep my commandments, keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my word. My, if, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, if you keep my commandments, that's all the way up through verse 10. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm telling you these things for two reasons. One, so that my joy will remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the difference in these two joys, the first one is Christ's joy is transferred into us, and it can remain. Because he says, I am speaking these things to you that my joy may remain in you. In other words, I have put it in you, but I'm telling you these things so that my joy will remain in you. Now, I want you to pick up. If he's saying, I'm telling you this in order for it to remain, it must mean that you can get out of his joy. It's a little tough. If that wasn't the case, he would have just said, I've spoken these things so that my joy can remain you know, full in you or it can be at full effect. But he said, I have spoken these things so that my joy may remain in you. The connection between his joy and our joy is that his joy becomes the source that causes our joy to be filled. That this is going to be good when it, when, it, when it clicks on you. This is going to be good. He has placed his joy in us. 
And he says, when my joy remains in you, then your joy can become full. Your joy can become fulfilled because of my joy. Here's what we need to understand about the joy of Christ. The joy of Christ is complete and absolute. It's not lacking anything because it's His. It's His. And there is nothing in God that is lacking or that is not complete. And so the joy that Christ has is complete and it is absolute. And he says, I am speaking these things so that that joy, which is complete and absolute, can remain in you. Now, it's powerful if, if I were to tell you and say, I'm going to link you on to my checking account. Well, this wouldn't be powerful. I told you right now I was going to link you on to my checking account. But, but if you knew that I had access to all the money in the world... And I said, I am speaking this to you so that you will stay connected to my checking account. And my checking account will be the source that will fill up your checking account. So as long as you stay connected to me, as long as you stay where that, that we're in this relationship, as long as you do whatever I ask you to do in order to maintain this, your checking account will be filled up out of my checking account. All right, most of you would say, what do I have to do, right? What do I have to do to have access to unlimited funds and all I have to do is to trust you and do whatever you tell me to do and I know that you've said you're only going to ask me to do things that are for my good. Sign me up, right? And my checking account's going to be filled because your checking account is unlimited. That's powerful. But Jesus tells us, I'm speaking these things to you about following my commands, about keeping my word in you, about doing all these things so that my joy can remain in you and that your joy can be full. And most often, if we're not careful, we'll look and we'll go, I don't know why I just don't have joy in my life. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. There's never a lack in the joy that Christ had, and it has existed forever. There was never a beginning because there was never a beginning with God. My brain cannot wrap itself around that. I'll just go ahead and tell you. So, you know, if, if you, know, you ever sit down and really try to think on it, it will make your head hurt. Just going to be honest with you. If you really try to wrap your brain around that it never began. Because the first thing that my mind tries to do, it tries to immediately go, well, let me go back a long, 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 long time ago. Well, no, 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 no. It, it just never was. There never was time for God, and so it has always existed. And our brains can't wrap our, them, themselves around that because everything to us has a beginning, has an ending. We just, we just can't. But God has just always existed, and time didn't exist for him. He created time in order to place us in it. And so he operates outside of it, and he operates above it, and he can step into it, he can step out of it, he controls all of it, the laws of nature, all of those things. He created those, and so the one who makes the law can decide that he can step outside of those natural laws of gravity and all these other things. That's why he can walk on water and all kind of stuff, because he is above and beyond those laws. He created them for us to operate within, not for him to be constrained by what about the joy that we have, though? The joy that we have begins at our time of regeneration. We don't have this kind of spiritual joy until we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You say, well, 
Well, are you saying that people who don't know Christ don't have joy? I'm going to tell you that people who don't know Christ don't understand the fullness of joy. I'm not telling you people don't have a sense of joy when they see their child born or when they see a, 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 a grandchild or any of those kind of... I'm not telling you they don't experience a form of joy. No, it would be foolish to say that somebody didn't experience a sense of joy. But when you're not connected to the God who created those things and understand the significance of those things and understand the beauty and the mystery of the God who caused all those things to come about, you are not experiencing the fullness of joy. You're just not. So when we come to a time of regeneration, when we allow that conversion experience to happen and we come to Christ then we begin to experience our joy that now is separate and distinct from the joy that Christ has. I think it's powerful, though, that Christ imparts His joy to us. I think it's powerful that His joy serves as the catalyst for perfecting our own joy, which doesn't come to completion until we receive a final reward when Christ returns and we go to heaven and this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruptible. But in the meantime, our joy is being filled. It is being filled up and it is drawing on the reservoir of the joy of Christ. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. I want you to see this verse. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says this. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet drink, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I want to give you some background here, because obviously joy is important when we see this, because it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're going, we're going to talk about that. We're going to come back to that. I want to give you some background on what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. The beginning of Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra stood outside the water gate, and he began to read from the book of the law of Moses. The people had said, read to us from the book of the, of the law of Moses. This is the law. This is not New Testament. This is not where we get to read about grace and we get to read about all that Jesus has done and all this stuff. These folks are saying, read to us out of the law that's saying don't do this and don't do that and all this other stuff. And, and so Ezra stands there and he begins to read to them. Now I want you to catch something. I want you to catch something. I'm not, I'm not trying to promote a concept here. You might think differently. But Ezra started reading out of the book at sunrise. And he read till midday. That's a church service. I didn't even get an amen off of that. That's a church service. At sunrise all the way till midday. That's some, that's some Bible reading right there. So when he first opened the book, I, I thought this was really interesting. When he first opened the book, the people, it says, they, they stood up. And as Ezra blessed God... The people responded, amen, amen, and then they lifted their hands as they bowed their heads. You thought Pentecostal people were the first ones who were raising their hands and stuff during a church service. 
Man, the Holy Spirit hadn't even been poured out yet. Jesus hadn't even been here. And these folks, when Ezra stood up to read the book of the law, you, you got to get that in your head. Not talking about God's grace, not talking about God's mercy through Jesus Christ, but the book of the law. These people are raising their hands and they put their heads down and the Bible says that they worshiped God with their faces toward the ground. Hands raised, faces to the ground, and they're worshiping God. By the way, it's there in the book in, in Nehemiah 8 where he also says while, while Ezra was reading from sunrise till midday that the people listened attentively. That's a long time to listen to somebody reading the law. Reading the law. Reading this is what you're not supposed to do. Then it says that Ezra and the other Levites not only read the law, but they interpreted it to the people, explaining it so that the people understood what was read. And here's what's happened. Right before we get to Nehemiah 8, chapter 10, here's what happens. Ezra and the Levites have been explaining this. They've, they've been basically been doing expository preaching. They have taken, read the, the word, they've read the law, and then explain how do you apply it? What does it mean? What do you do with it? And as they've been explaining this and making it applicable to people's lives, the people begin to weep. The people begin to cry. Sunrise to midday, they've been hearing the law read and explained, and here's how it's supposed to be applied, and they are just weeping. And we get to Ezra chapter 8, verse 10. The people have understood the law, because that's what the Scripture says there. It says that as Ezra and these other Levites were explaining it, they did so so that the people understood what they had heard. I got to thinking about that. What does it mean to understand God's Word that's been read and explained? It really means that you understand how it represents God and where He is standing. And then it means that we understand ourselves and where we are in relation to that. That's really what it comes down to when we're talking about understanding God's Word. It's not just saying, well, I know what it means, you know, to... You know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth, you know, for you. Okay, you know, I know that deer get thirsty and, and they're wanting water. And I'm supposed to really desire after God. No, I mean, it's, it's truly understanding and seeing God for who He is in that scripture even. And seeing ourselves and our need and, and truly understanding that and, and seeing, wow, yeah, when that, that deer has been running and it's needing water, and it, man, I, I just got to find water, right? So when we truly begin to understand God, and I did, I did not have that as the deer thing in my notes, I just want you all to know, but, but I don't know why that popped in my head, because then he is the sustainer, he is the one who nourishes, he is the one who allows us to, to, to calm down, to cool down. He's the one who restores us. He's the one. And so when we see him as that, and we see ourselves in that great need, that's when we begin to understand Scripture. And so they were 
hearing the law and the law was being explained to them and they recognize where they are in relationship to God's law. And they just begin to weep. Nehemiah notes here that they speak to the people and say, hey, go back home. You've been in church half a day. So go back home. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet drink. And by the way, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. If somebody didn't have something, if they didn't, then send some of that to them because this day is holy to the Lord. But don't be grieved. So understand that you're seeing the law and you're you're understanding it and you're understanding where you are in relationship to that, but don't be grieved. Don't get down in the dumps. Don't get, don't get all in the mully grubs about this because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your ability to walk in alignment with the law is going to come from the joy of the Lord because it's what's going to strengthen you to be able to do this. So I want, to, I want to tie that Old Testament passage there that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I, I, want you to, I want you to bring that with us back over to the New Testament, to John chapter 14 and 15, where Jesus is repeatedly telling us, you need to keep my commandments. You need to keep my word. You need to do what I've commanded you. And he says that the reason that I am telling you these things is so that my joy remain in you. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. He says, I don't want you to be weak. I don't want you to be struggling. I'm telling you to do these things not so that I can be the guy in charge. Not so that I can say, well, do this stuff I told you because I'm God and you got to do the stuff I'm telling you. I'm telling you to do these things because if you will hear the words I'm telling you and you will follow after them, my joy will remain in you and my joy is your strength. I'm trying to prepare you so that you will have a strong spiritual life, so that you will be strong in your spiritual walk, so that you won't be overcome by things. Because from the Old Testament, I've been telling you that my joy is your strength. And now, I as the Christ, who have completed the work, who have going to do what's going to be there on Calvary and complete all of that, I'm, I want you to follow my commands and do the things I'm telling you so that this joy that I'm going to give you will stay in you and therefore you will be strong. So I want to ask you something. When you're feel, feeling spiritually weak, how, how many of you have ever, ever felt spiritually weak? I'll, I'll raise both hands, and if I could get both legs off the floor at the same time without looking really bad, I'd do it. When you have felt spiritually weak, are you usually less than joyful? You normally feel kind of spiritually depressed, kind of cast down, kind of, kind of beat down, right? There's a reason for that. 
Jesus said, I'm speaking these things to you. I'm telling you that if you love me, keep my commands. I'm telling you that you need to hear my words and you need to hide them in your heart and you need to keep them there and you need to do this and you need to do what I'm telling you and, and you need to follow after this and because I want my joy to remain in you and so that then your joy will be filled up because my joy is already complete. But if my joy remains in you and you tap into that, it will fill your cup. It's like watching somebody with a pitcher of water and somebody else that has a cup. And you see those magicians, they'll do some of that stuff every now and then where they'll be pouring out of the pitcher, but it never seems to get empty. And the cup just, you know, will overflow. But they just, it's like it never runs out of. He says, I don't want you to be weak. As I was reading this and I was, I've told you for about the last three, three weeks or so, he's been kind of taking me down different paths with what's in the book. You get the great stuff out of the book, read the book and get all of that. But then he'll take some of these key verses and he's taking me into some different stuff. And, and I was just thinking about that. And I was going, God, how many times in the last year, you know, have I felt spiritually just down. And when I look back on those moments in light of this scripture and in light of understanding that he's saying, I'm telling you to keep my commandments and follow my word and do the things that I'm telling you because if you do, then my joy will remain in you and his joy is complete and it is fulfilled and it is, it is 100% absolute and then so that your joy will be filled up. And when I think back on those moments and I reflect back on them, I can see where that I wasn't in his word and his word wasn't in me. I, I, I almost was where I didn't want somebody to come up and tell me. Right now, I know y'all have never been here. I know you've never been here, but you almost don't want somebody to come up and tell you what God's word says, Right? You don't want somebody to come up and tell you, hey, I just want to encourage you that, you know, that God's word says I'll never leave you. I know, I know, I know, but I'm just having a hard time right now, right? Right? We're like, I don't even want to hear. I don't even want to hear God's word. Don't, don't give me God's word right now. I'm enjoying wallowing in my misery. Right? I've been there. I know you guys haven't, but, you know, just, just you know, let me get it out of my system today since I know it doesn't affect y'all. Um <laughs> And I, when I looked back on that, there was never one time where I felt spiritually weak and I was like, man, I sure was joyful during that. I sure just kind of had the joy of the Lord during that moment. Now, I'm not talking about that there aren't times where that you feel under attack and yet you remain joyful because I have seen people do that. I have seen people be where that there was a crushing burden on them, and it was weighing heavily, but yet there still was a sense of joy. And I had to think about that as we can recognize that that had to have come from, not from that, that our joy could bring that about, because our joy that is not perfect that is not fulfilled yet, that will not be complete until 
we end up in heaven and, and all of these things change for us. It only could have been filled from Christ's joy. And sometimes when I watched people and I thought back through years past, because, you know, growing up in a pastor's family, you see a lot of stuff. And you see a lot of times you see a lot of hurt where people are going through tremendous difficulties and, and the passing of, of loved ones and difficult, just various difficult times in families. And, and so even as a kid, I was on, you know, kind of closer to that maybe than what most people were. And, and I thought back through that and I realized when I... When I could remember people who seemed to have this amazing grace during those moments, and I thought about their lives, I can remember hearing them talk about what they were getting from God's Word in the moment. I can hear them talk about how that they were in prayer. They were doing these things. They were remaining in God's love. They were staying in God's presence, and they were continuing to do and and follow after him passionately, and even with the reality of crushing burden, his joy remained, and their joy was made full. And so what is the, the big command that, that Jesus ends up telling them? He's, he's been telling them, keep my commands, and do what I'm telling you, and let my word stay in you. And then we see it right after, right after John 15 and 11. I'm just going to read this to you. In 1512, this is what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's been telling them from middle of chapter 14 all the way to the middle of chapter 15, do with the things I'm commanding. You keep my word and you do all this. And he turns around and he says, and this is what I'm commanding, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's when he picks up the sixth time there in verse 14 and says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And then in verse 17, he says it again, this I command you that you love one another. This is the thought that hit me this week. When our spiritual strength is failing, check on your joy. And when you identify that, the jo that your joy level is waning, check on your love. Because in this whole passage where Jesus is saying, I'm speaking this stuff to you so that my joy will remain in you and that your joy will be full if you'll keep my commandments, and he says, and this is what I'm commanding you, and it's to love one another as I've loved you. So when I take that in reverse, when I love other people the way that God has loved me, the way that Jesus Christ loved me, how did he love us? How did he love us? This is feedback time. How did he love us? Unconditionally, how did that play itself out? Went to the cross, died, took a beating even on the cross, looks down at those and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Loved us with an unfailing love. With a love that looked and said, you're not right yet. So he could see through time because time didn't matter to him, right? It's just like looking at a whole picture to him where for us it's time and he sees every one of us. 
And he says, ah. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet in sin, that he sent Christ to die for us. He saw that we were going to be in sin. So how has Christ loved us when he says, love one another as I have loved you? He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were anti-him. He loved us when we were against him. The Bible says that at one point we were enemies to God, but now we've been made his children. Christ loved us and died for us when we were against him. He says, so I want you to love other people the same way I loved you. Love them when they're against you. Love them when they're not for you. Love them when they stand against the things that you stand for. Love them when they talk bad about you and what you believe. Love them when they're just flat wrong. Because I loved you that way. And my command to you is, love one another as I have loved you. Does that mean that we don't speak the truth about wrong and speak the truth about sin? And No. Now Jesus came and he preached repentance. He, he said he wanted people to turn and, and follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow after me and become a disciple. All of those things are there. But he came to seek and save the lost. Those that are well have no need of a physician. So if I love others the way that Christ has loved me, I love them unconditionally, then I'm keeping his commands. And when I'm keeping his commands, he says his joy will remain in me and my joy will be made full. I want to give you this thought. When they're going to send a submarine or anything that, you know, a bathysphere, we talked about that recently. Y'all got a new word out of bathysphere that Jacques Cousteau type stuff that they can use to go into the depths of the ocean. One of the things that has to happen in order for it to go into these depths is it has to be pressurized, right? Because if not, the deeper that you get into the ocean, you have all that weight, then the pressure will just collapse and, and, and crush that thing. So there has to be pressure inside that is equal to the pressure that is on the outside so that it can withstand. It's not any different material than it is when it's up here outside of the water. Same material when it's all those thousands upon thousands upon thousands of feet deep into the, into the ocean. But just pressure on the inside balances against the pressure that's on the outside. And this is what I thought about when it came to this. The pressures of life when they come your way, when they come my way, if the joy of Christ is remaining in us and it is filling up our joy, then the greater that the pressure comes from the outside, the greater he fills us up with the joy on the inside, and we are not crushed. And we can withstand going to the depths because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so he will balance out 
the pressures, the depression, the anxiety, the forces that come against us from the outside because His joy remains in us and it fills us up and we can withstand. Joy. Let's pray.